I'm Lloyd Freeman, and this is Dimensions of Diversity. Continuing in our series of courageous conversations and exploring the Asian American heritage and culture, I have two more of my Buchanan colleagues who are willing to chat with me a bit about uh, their family and kind of what uh, led their entire family to uh, get here where they are and, and what challenges they've had to overcome. So please welcome Will Lee and Joe Centeno to the podcast. Hi, Lloyd. Hi, Joe. So, so Joe, I want to start with you. And if you can kind of just walk me through um, uh, your family and, and, and its uh, lineage, if you will, as to how do you end up in Philadelphia? Okay, yeah, sure, Lloyd. So happy to be here. And um, that's, that, that's a, a question that's going to have a little bit of an answer here. Um, so, you know, the origins of my family are uh, from the Philippine Islands. And okay. my parents are both from the Philippines. Um, uh, you know, both um, went to college there, and then they met in medical school, and they came to the U.S. in the um, very early 60s um, to Pittsburgh, of all places, and trained there and had me and my brother and um, my older brother, Rob, um, and he became a doctor. So, I, you know, I'm the only non-doctor out of the whole crew, um, but um, there is another story, a long story behind that. And, uh, you know, went to, grew up outside of Detroit, uh, went to school in Massachusetts, and, and then met my wife in law school, um, who had roots in, in Philadelphia. So we moved to Philadelphia when we, when, um, you know, we were in our young 20s. So this was um, in 1993. Uh, don't do the math. <laughs> Joe, with your parents coming over to uh, the, the U.S., um, uh, in search of, of continuing their, their education and, and starting their careers. Um, did they find that that was an easier way to uh, kind of acclimate into, you know, this uh, a new country, or do they still face a number of challenges, um, not necessarily being from the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. It, they, they both spoke English, okay. um, because English is taught in the Philippines at um, you know, elementary school and, and, and up. So they're very fluent in English, but of course, you know, with a, with a thick Filipino accent and, you know, clearly people of color. So they were really, you know, in, in my view, trailblazers, you know, coming at a time and an age where, you know, racial and civil rights issues were at the forefront. And, um, you know, they, they came when, um, you know, there were segregated restaurants and segregated bathrooms and, um, and they came as Filipinos, as Asians, um, you know, as doctors. And so they had to try to navigate all of that. And at the same time, you know, raise two young kids. So I, I, I think, you know, I look at my parents as as such heroes and as such trailblazers, um, you know, forging a new path in a new country where they, you know, they'd never seen snow before, you know, when they came <laughs> uh, uh, to Pittsburgh, a little snow in Pittsburgh. They must've um, fallen in love with it to stay in Pittsburgh and Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, really it was, it's, it's the result of family reunification. Um, my, my, my grandfather, um, you know, was in Detroit. My grandmother on my mother's side was in Detroit. 
and, and, you know, it's a common story, of course, with immigrants, you know, when you come to a new country, you want to go to places where you know people, where you have people, because that's a source of strength, it's a source of safety, it's a source of familiarity, and, and, and that's why they um, ended up in Detroit. Did you feel that same, um, uh, I guess, urge to, to kind of find a community of, of people who, you know, looked like you or had a very similar um, uh, background or culture when you were navigating college and, and law school, or maybe even now that you are, uh, you know, working professional? Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. So, um, you know, where, where I grew up, there were uh, a, a lot of uh, Filipinos and there was a Filipino community. And, and part of that reunification was that my parents brought their brothers and sisters, sponsored them to come to the United States in the Detroit area. So I had all my family. I mean, my, my holidays were, you know, filled with 40 people in, in you know, in someone's house and uh, eating traditional Filipino food. And, and I was fortunate enough to go to really diverse um, high school uh, mm -hmm. where there were, you know, African-Americans, Asians, Latinos, and, um, you know, you probably can't tell this by looking at me now, but I used to be a real athlete, Lloyd. And, um, <laughs> and, you know, my teammates were all diverse, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, but, but as I, as I progressed, you know, in life, uh, you know, in college, I played football at division three school. And, um, you know, I, I find that my, my friends, oftentimes my personal, personal friends certainly include, you know, people of color and, and in my, in my personal, um, and professional life, of course, I've, I've been very, very, uh, active in, uh, you know, the diversity um, uh, arena, including as the president of NAPABA and the local Asian Pacific Bar Association and working with um, MCCA and the Minority Corporate Council Association as its outside general counsel. So yeah, I've always, you know, um, I guess felt comfortable and had a connection and a bond um, with other people who are diverse and, and with others who have a commonality of what's been my family's experience. Hmm. Will, I want to turn to you because I want to learn more about your family and, and your background. So kind of walk us through that. Okay. Uh, thanks, Lloyd. It was great to hear uh, Joe's story, family story. Uh, my family, most of my family, uh, well, we're from Vietnam. Uh, so uh, right after the war, uh, well, for me, I was born in December 1975, which was right after the end of the fall of Saigon, uh, which occurred in April 75. Uh, so my dad was a, a, a South Vietnamese officer. Um, uh, and so at the, at, after the fall of Saigon in April, he was uh, rounded up uh, along with many other um, uh, South Vietnamese so, um, uh, soldiers. And uh, for the next eight and a half years, he was uh, taken a prisoner of war. They called it, called it a re-education camp. Um, so I was born in December of 75. I had an older brother. He's about two and a half years older than me. Uh, we had a mom who pretty much uh, neglected us, had other priorities in life. And so we, we grew up, I, you know, we grew up pretty much for the first five years of my life, just running around, sometimes living with my grandparents, sometimes kind of on our own. Um, so uh, anyway, eventually word got out that, uh, you know, our condition. And so 
um, we were taken to uh, my relative's custody, um, my aunt and uncle. Um, and so before, uh, uh, fast forward to uh, December 81, when I was at the age of six, um, we, we fled, we being my older brother, uh, myself, my aunt and uncle, and two of their uh, youngest uh, kids. Uh, they had four kids. Uh, the two Odos had already fled the country. And so um, we fled December of 81. Um, so our first stop was Malaysia. Uh, so this is mass exodus out of Vietnam after the war from uh, mid 75 to all the way up into mid to late 80s. But so anyway, um, so we arrived in Malaysia and, uh, and then spent a few months while, you know, whatever paperwork and, and had to be done. And then we were transferred to the Philippines uh, stayed there for a couple months, and then eventually, in September '82, so 40 years ago, um, arrived in the United States, and we had uh, quite a, a lot of relatives who had already made it here, and so uh, most of them living in Montgomery County, Maryland. That's what how I ended up in, in, in the DC metro area. So, and so most of all of my relatives are still around the DC, Maryland, Virginia area. Finally, met my dad for the first time. In 1984, when he was released after eight and a half years as a uh, prisoner of war, and so he came here, and uh, that was the first time I ever met him. Oh my gosh! So, so I want I want to make sure that you know we don't, um, you know, that we that we give enough kind of um, uh, proper des deserving time and attention to the fact that you know your family is is coming over here. I'm assuming that there is a language barrier um, uh, for many in your family. Is that correct? To assume. <laughs> Uh, for the older, older, uh, you know, my dad, aunts and uncles, uh, you know, most of them, and, and my dad is one of eight. So, so you can imagine how big our family is with a lot of cousins and relatives. And, and so, yeah, typically the, the older uh, generation, you know, my dad, my aunt and uncle, they, they spoke very, uh, a little bit of English, but found, quickly found jobs, you know, and, and for us cousins, you know, and uh, we went to school and I, I think picked up English pretty quickly. You know, I arrived here, we went, I, I, I was in first grade and, uh, and uh, you know, picked it up quickly. What did you find most challenging for either yourself as, um, you know, a, a, a very small child or either that you observed from your family uh, as everyone was, you know, getting, uh, you know, accustomed to the United States? Uh, for, you know, uh, probably for me, for us, it was, uh, you know, we, we, we went to a pretty diverse school, just like Joe, um, Montgomery County, you know, a lot of, uh, of, all, of all countries. Right? So we, we didn't feel out of place, but it was more social economic differences. You know, some of my friends I had, you know, where they were able to do certain things that I would was never able to do, you know, and I, you know, and, and I had a very strict dad who, who raised us in a certain way. And so uh, life, life was, you know, a bit tough, but, but there was an end goal, right? And there was a like end goal being, you know, whether it was me, my brother, or all of our cousins, it was like, go to school. And then, you know, you're going to establish a good life here in, in the United States. That was kind of like, you know, what we were always told. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So this question is for both of you. And uh, I know I, I talk about this often when chatting with individuals who um, are kind of the, the, the second generation, right? And so your parents uh, having lived, you know, at least some of their adult lives in, in another country and then coming over here, but you have spent, you know, primarily all of your life here. Are, are there certain parts of, I guess, language or tradition or culture that um, uh, has not necessarily been carried on? Or is it very much so one of those things that you're intentional about, you know, ensuring that you, you know, continue to, uh, you know, acknowledge certain holidays or culture and, and traditions or certainly even the language? Joe, how about you first? Yeah, um, great question. So, I, I mean, I think for me, um, you know, growing up and being born here, I always felt like I had one foot in a strict Filipino household where my mother ruled and my father thought he was in charge, but he wasn't. <laughs> and um, then one foot, you know, in an, a very Americanized school with American friends and American traditions and, and customs that were just different. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, you know, living in really um, you know, strict Filipino household and then going to school and having American friends puts you in an, an interesting place. Some things that we still love to do and, and do that are traditionally Filipino um, includes food. I mean, we, we, you know, the food is maybe uh, the heart of, of what I think about when I think about um, our get togethers as a family and with friends and community who are Filipino and you know, that's uh, the pancit, the lumpia, the um, chicken adobo. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, I wouldn't say it's the healthiest food in the world, but, you know, it, it <laughs> those are normally it, the best, though. <laughs> I, well, it's, yeah, and, and so there are healthy recipes, but they're just not as good. But, um, you know, just enjoying that food is certainly a tradition that we always do. Will, how about you? I'll second, Joe, with regards to food. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, I, I, I I ate a lot of American food and I enjoyed it, but I think as I've grown older, I tend to enjoy Vietnamese food a lot more, you know, so I, I, some, I will have it every night if I could. Right. And, but, uh, um, so, you know, I'm married to a, 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 a lady from Kansas city. So, you know, different little bit, bit, bit different background. And we have a daughter who's 10 years old and over the last maybe year, year and a half, she's she's really exploring, you know, her food options, right? But you know, she still claims she likes Italian best. But but there are days where, where I can convince her that oh, let's have Vietnamese. She's like oh, okay. So so, <laughs> but it's still not her first choice. So um, uh, so I I don't know if it'll change as she gets older. But one other thing is language. You know, I speak Vietnamese uh, when I'm with my dad, but. Uh, or, or yeah, that's pretty much the only time I speak Vietnamese, or when I go to the uh, the, the Vietnamese restaurant or eating center uh, here. Uh, otherwise, I you know I, I tried to teach uh, Elizabeth, our daughter, uh, Vietnamese when she was much younger, and, and every time I tried, she would laugh, and so I kind of. <laughs> <laughs> but so there's not a lot of things that that. Uh, but 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 I do as she gets older, I, I do have a hope that she will have. Uh, uh, much more of an interest in, in my background. Uh, and, and, you know, we got to do that a couple of years ago, summer of 2019, when we all went back to Vietnam. So, so anyway. 
Will, because um, uh, everyone may not be so familiar, I wanted to make sure the listeners knew that you actually work in the government relations space uh, down in DC. Uh, And so um, people may know a bit more about the demographics of the practice of law, but maybe not necessarily so much in the the GR space. Could you talk a bit about that and then also around uh, whether or not you you believe that you see um, any representation or adequate representation of people um, who you know look like you, sound like you, have, right. have a similar background. Right. Uh, you know, I've always loved politics ever since I was a kid. You know, I, I was one, one of the few kids that would watch. You know, this week with David Brinkley or or Meet the Press with Tim Russer. So I was and, and growing up in this area. You know, reading the Washington Post um, on a regular basis. So I've always enjoyed politics, and that's something I've always wanted to do. So you know, my first job. Uh, 20 some years ago was on the Hill uh, in Congress for five, worked there for five years and then became a political appointee uh, and worked at the Department of Commerce from 2003 to 2008. Uh, but the, the reality is, as you kind of alluded to Lloyd, the reality is it's, it's pretty, uh, it's dominated not by, by Asians. Asians, you know, I, I and I, I, I've always knew that. I, I guess it hasn't deterred me in, in seeking this profession. You know, my my brother, all of my cousins are either, I don't know, engineer or into computer, computer science. That was their major. Whereas I was the one of the rare lone uh, government politics, uh, political science major. Um, so, I, you know, I, I don't know. It, if, if how you change that, I guess, is, is where I, I know, you know, my, I, I monitor and work Congress a lot. I, I know that they have a lot of issues with representation there, you know, unless it's, it's a, um, a minority lawmaker, you know, a, a lawmaker of color who, who's, who's looking to hire uh, a diverse staff. It's, it's usually dominated by um, a lot of um, Caucasians. So, so that's what I've observed over the years. But um, so, so some of the same issues we run into, Joe, in the practice of law. And uh, is it? Can you take a stab at answering Will's question around, you know, kind of what do you do? Um, what can you do to help, you know, curb those statistics? Well, um, that's a great question, and you know, to me, it's it's important that um, you know we continue to interview and um, value people who are diverse. Um, you know, studies show very clearly that uh, diverse teams have better solutions than teams that are not diverse. And that, and that just makes common sense because, you know, everybody thinks about problems from different angles and through their own experience and perspective. So, you know, I, I am um, a very strong advocate of concept of ensuring that when you have a available opportunity that you interview diverse folks for that opportunity and that that you have diverse teams. And um, I think that's better serving our clients. And um, I, I think it's the it's, um, you know, it's the right thing to do. I think so much of what uh, um, in our world that, you know, is networking, right? Uh, the people you hang out with, the people you you know, your fraternity brothers and all that stuff. So it's a, a lot of it is networking and who you know, and that's the same in, as, uh, in Congress. So, um, you know, I've tried over the last uh, couple of years, uh, me and a couple other friends, uh, actually one being my neighbor who's, uh, who's Indian. And so we've, we've started kind of this group where, uh, you know, we have monthly meetings and it's grown to about, you know, 15 of us. 
you know, some on the Hill, some are lobbyists, some are, you know, with Amazon, for example, and, 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 and kind of feeding off each other and seeing how we can help each other and helping others, right? It, it's to grow that, that networking base. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, that's one, you know, small way that, you know, I, we've kind of tried to uh, help Asians, for example me for a bit and maybe some of our listeners because I, I even heard you will when you were just talking you mentioned how you have a a neighbor who is is indian uh and you know you've got um uh, a vietnamese family and, and joe you've got a filipino family uh, but oftentimes we talk about this as you know asian americans and so that is kind of such a you know compounded term to describe such a very diverse group of individuals you know every single one of those countries and even within some of those countries you know there are there are other subcultures it's kind of like saying someone is african i mean you know there's uh, such a, a diversity in in within the the continent of africa uh, joe do you feel there's a need for us to you know, be a bit more intentional around our word choice and, and not just kind of talking about an Asian issue or Asian American issue and, and kind of more so making sure that we're educated around issues that are germane to, you know, uh, those who have a Vietnamese background as opposed to, to you know, Chinese or Korean? Or, you know, has that never really been an issue that um, uh, you really thought deserves more time and attention? Well, I, you know, I think the concept of sort of pan-Asian um, is, is you know I think a relatively newer concept um, developed in the 60s during the civil rights era when Asians of Korean, uh, Filipino, um, Vietnamese, and and other uh, descent wanted to also have a seat at the table and and understood that doing it together as a group uh, was more effective because the numbers were going to be significantly more. Uh, important um, and powerful. Um, there's lots of commonalities that um, Asian cultures oftentimes have. Uh, you know, we're all immigrants. Uh, you know, we all, um, um, I think, uh, in large part, focus on family as a central element of our culture. Um, and um, and so, in that sense, the the, the commonalities and, and the concept of grouping Asians together makes sense and it makes sense from a political aspect um, but there are clear differences and 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 that's okay you know there's clear differences in the latino and the latinx community there's clear differences in in the black community and the african and the caribbean communities mm -hmm. um, so I, I think it's important to recognize that just because one person might be asian or black or Latino doesn't mean that they fall within, you know, someone's perceived stereotypes of what that group should be like and what that group uh, may be thinking, uh, because the diversity is very, very uh, intricate and deep. And so I think it, it's important to recognize that difference and and to cherish it and to value it. Um, difference is a good thing, and it's a strength that we have in this country. It's a strength that we have on our teams. So that's how I look at it. Very well said. Very well said. I want to end with some advice for uh, listeners who may be um, uh, kind of positioned uh, exactly how you two were when you were coming up through the ranks. Uh, and so, Will, um, what advice would you have for, you know, the next uh, Will, you know, who's maybe trying to navigate college and, and is uh, interested in politics, doesn't see a lot of people who, you know, 
look like them. Uh, what was maybe some of the best advice you got or, or some of the best advice that you could share? Uh, I, I think uh, perseverance. Uh, I think I'm, I'm still very optimistic about this country. Uh, you know, from my personal experience, experience with my own family, I know there's a lot of divisiveness out there, but uh, my advice to anyone is, is for every, you know, racist you meet, you meet 20 people who are willing to help you. But you have to be pers uh, you have to have perseverance. You know, I started on the hill with no connection. You know, it was like uh, you know, I stuck my foot in the door, uh, applied for an internship. You know, twenty four years ago, and that one internship uh, with a congressman was the, the path to my career up to to this point. Every job I've had was started with that internship, and and so I, I think that perseverance and an optimism that that you can make you can make this uh this system work for you love that joe uh you know there, there's of course some some young law student out there who's dreaming of one day becoming a partner in a big law firm uh what advice do you have for that young filipino american uh, law student who is you know looking to one day have a position like yours yeah so um you know, I think one thing that is important is that um, to be successful in our economy and our society, um, people have to develop, you know, leadership skills and soft skills and interpersonal skills. And, and you don't develop that in the library. And, you know, my, my parents sort of you know, had it wrong, frankly, because, you know, they were doctors and they said, listen, don't get, don't get um, distracted by all these other things that people do in college, like clubs and student <laughs> government. And this is just a distraction to you. You know, what you need to do is get straight A's and your whole life will be great. Well, you know, I'm not a very good listener. So I, I spent a lot of time and some would say way too much time not studying and doing things that caused me to be in the company of people and 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 in in a leadership position and getting things done and and developing what I would say are um, you know some soft skills some leadership skills and some some EQ as opposed to just developing IQ and th this feeds into what Will was talking about with networking and who you know and and you know your um, your network. Um, so I would say, uh, yeah, develop those skills. You know, make sure that you understand how to how to do politics, how to understand politics, how to treat people well, how to understand how to handle conflict. You know, how to motivate people, how to lead. All these things that they don't really teach you in the library. You got to do by engaging other people and organizations and activities and clubs that you happen to really, really care about. Um, that, that's the advice I'd give myself. Yes, that's great advice. Uh, and I think that it, it goes far beyond, you know, kind of the, the future Joe or the future Will. I mean, that advice kind of transcends uh, disciplines or, or even racial and ethnic lines. Uh, Will, Joe, I thank you so much for being so courageous and sharing your stories with us. Uh, this is what makes me a proud Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer, or you know, being able to have these courageous conversations like this. So thank you so much. 